Hey, um, we're going to jump into things this evening, and uh, so would you guys just pray with me? Father, we um, recognize that you're here. We can sense you um, when we pause to turn our attention and our affections and our minds towards you. And so it's with that intention and with that mind that we invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and to speak to us. We're listening and we want to hear from you. We're the people, God, who confess that we do not want to be the kings and queens of our lives. We want you to be the king and we want to follow. In Jesus' name, everybody said... Amen. Hey, our next value in our series is we have the privilege of hosting the Father's presence. We have the privilege of hosting his presence. We're um, continuing in our series on core values as a church, and uh, tonight we have a ton of scripture to get to, so please, theology caps, Bible caps on. Um, I want to do my best to lay a really solid foundation for why we are a presence-based church before we're anything else, okay? So, that being said, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the second book in the Bible. Uh, That's the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 33 is where we're going to be this evening. That's where we're going to find our text, Exodus 33, verse 12. Now, many of you guys know the story of the Exodus. The people of God um, have been slaves in Egypt, and um, God raises up someone named Moses, and Moses' job is to lead the people of Israel out of slavery and into this land called the what? The promised land. You guys all know that, right? The promised land is where he's supposed to lead Israel. And um, as they, in between, or in between Egypt and the promised land is a bunch of wilderness. And so Israel finds themselves for 40 years wandering through the wilderness, learning hard lessons, figuring out how to worship God and how to say no to idolatry. And in the midst of that, we see this conversation between Moses and God. That's where we pick up the story in Exodus 33, verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. Well, if you're pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. Verse 14, the Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth. And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked, because I am pleased with you, and I know you by name. Then Moses said, Now, show me your glory. 
when I first started following Jesus, I don't know about what it was like for you, but for me, I was incredibly aware of God's presence. Um, in fact, actually, his presence was the thing that got me into following him to begin with. Um, I, I remember when I first started following Jesus, I was 17 years old. My parents had taken me on a trip to Rwanda, Africa, and um, I had brought, this is how long ago it was, I had brought with me a disc man, all right? Like CDs, like hard copies with me on the plane, and one of the CDs that I had was an old Hillsong United album. So good. And I, I would put it in, and I'd put the headphones on, and I shared a room with my brother. I don't, I don't think he's here tonight, but every uh, night we would be about to, he'd fall asleep, and I'd wait till he was asleep, and then I would put, I'd put my headphones on, and I would listen to this album. And, and it, it was just like every song was, was speaking the gospel over me. That, that there was a God who cared about me, who had a purpose for my life, and that he actually maybe just possibly loved me. And I, I remember just in those moments, the presence of God would so thickly come into this room that I would begin to cry, and I'm like trying to keep it quiet because I just could sense God's love for me. Have you ever been there? When I got back from this trip, I, I started going to this college ministry called The Way, and, and the worship was great, the teaching was phenomenal, but the thing I remember about those Friday nights was that the tangible presence of God was in the room. You couldn't walk into that room without just being hit with this enormous sense that God was there and he was moving. And I began to just get addicted to his presence. I remember I would wake up early in the morning. Just, you couldn't have gotten me up early for anything before then, but Jesus got a hold of my heart. I'd wake up early in the morning just to get a glimpse of him. I remember Phil Wickham had just written that song, You're Beautiful, and I would just get my guitar out and I would, I would look out the window and I would sing that song and his presence would come and just fill my, my bedroom. I remember there were times where my mom's like, it's dinner time, and I'm like, I can't come to dinner. I'm just like in the presence of God right now. So it didn't matter. Like, if I had a bad day, I was like, I remember thinking, it's kind of a crappy day, but his presence was with me. I don't care. I, I, I remember there was one time I was even, I was driving on the freeway, and this dude and I got in this, like, road rage moment, and the guy's, like, rolling his window down. He's like, I want to fight you, you know? Like, pull over. And I'm like, what? So, and I'm like, you know, I have red hair. I don't know if you noticed this. And when, when somebody says they're a redhead, they want to fight them? Oh, man. That redhead will probably try to fight them. So I was like, everything in me was like, who is this guy? And I remember he like flipped me off, cussed me out, and, and pulled past me. And I remember I literally like did this calculation in my head. I was like, okay, he didn't honor me, and he took something from me. He insulted me, but it doesn't matter because the amount of presence that I have in my life with God outweighs anything that he could have taken from me. Yeah. I'm like 17 years old, just calculus, God calculus in my head, right? I just lived with this deep sense of God's presence in my life. And I need just, this is like, like for, forget the stage. This is like a family room conversation. I need you guys to know that this church, the only thing that we care about is his presence. The only reason why we're here is the presence of God. I don't care if there's good teaching here. I don't care if the worship's amazing. I don't care if lots of people come to our church. I care that he comes to our church. That's what I care about. 
Like, Jake and I, we talk about this all the time. We have two gauges on our dashboard for whether it was a successful gathering. The first gauge is, did we do what he asked us to do? The second gauge is, did he show up? That's it. You know, the first night we had, you know, we had about this many people show up to the church. It was pretty exciting because we thought it was going to be like 50 people for a year in, in a room. We're like, oh, they let us use this big space, but I don't think we're going to need it, you know? We're going to just be sitting right down here in the front. And it was awesome to see, you know, a lot of people excited about the church plant. That's a beautiful thing. I don't care unless he shows up. I don't care. I came home, and, my, and, and I was talking with uh, some of the pastors at Bridgetown. They're like, dude, oh my gosh, tons of people showed up to, your, to the first uh, gathering. That's amazing. I'm like, yeah, but I don't care. I want him here. That's what I care about. Now, um, for some of you, you, maybe you're sitting there, and you're a little bit more analytical, and you're going, when you say his presence, what exactly do you mean? So, like, what is his presence? Well, very simply, what I'm talking about, if you're taking notes, write this down. If you're not taking notes, Write this down. Uh, very simply, what we're talking about when we say God's presence is God himself being in the space where we are and we're aware of it. And so when God is present and you just go, oh, I just am aware that he's here. Now, um, we see God show up in many, many different ways throughout the scriptures. But here are just a few, a little Bible survey for you. Genesis chapter one says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Incredibly mysterious passage, but what we get from this is that God in the beginning was present, and creation was the result of him being present, right? Um, you, later on, you, you see God in the garden with Adam and Eve. The entire point of the garden was withness. Because the only thing we see Adam and Eve doing with God in the garden, it's not like, and Adam and Eve got together with God, and they built a car, or they built a house. No, it says that they were walking with him in the cool of the day. Who do you walk with? You don't walk with your business partner. You're not like, you know what? I've, been, I've had a long day. I should call my business partner up and see if they, he wants to take a stroll. You walk with someone that you love. You walk with somebody. You're just like, when, I, when my wife and I go on a walk, it's like, let's just connect. Tell me about how you're doing. What, what's going on? The entire point of the garden was withness. Now, um, many of you guys know uh, the story of Genesis, but there's a guy named Jacob who shows up uh, as kind of the beginning of the people of God, and he travels at one point to a foreign land, and at this time, what you need to know is that the people of God, they, Israel, Jacob and his family, they didn't think God was anywhere else but where they lived. So when Jacob leaves his family, he's literally thinking, I'm leaving God, but he has a dream, Right? And in that dream, he sees that the heavens are actually opened, and angels are descending and ascending on a ladder between heaven and earth. And he has this realization. Next slide. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Just powerful moments where he encounters God in a place he didn't imagine he would encounter him. He goes, I wasn't aware, but he was present. How many of you guys understand that God can be present anywhere, but what counts is that we're aware of it, right? In Exodus chapter 13, uh, when God is talking about um, leading the Israelites out of Egypt, he says this, by day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light. 
so that they could travel by day or by night. So the presence of God shows up in this physical way. It's a cloud or it's this pillar of fire. And the entire purpose of his presence is to give a visual for the people of God to then know where he's going. That's important. Hang on to that. Now, um, look down at your Bibles. Uh, This is the next time his presence shows up is in chapter 33. It says this in verse 7. Just look over at verse 7. Now, Moses Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp, and whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they all stood and worshiped, each at the entrance to their own tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp But his young assistant, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. I always love that part. I'm like, I want to be like Joshua. I don't want to leave the tent. The Hebrew word for presence is panim. Can you say that with me? Panim. It's used 76 times all throughout the Old Testament, and 390 times it's that word is used not for presence, but for face. Isn't that interesting? Just like Moses would see God face to face, he was present, present with God. Just like we can't really do community over the internet. It's like, I want to get face to face. And when we really want to talk about something serious, it's like, can we get a one-on-one? Can we go to chapters? Can we sit down and actually have a face-to-face conversation? Yeah, you guys are at chapters all the time. Um, Moses would speak to God face to face, being in his presence. And oftentimes the scriptures speak about the glory of God and his presence at the same time. If you notice when God promises that his presence will lead Israel, what does Moses respond with? Show me your glory. Let me see you. So God's like, my presence will go with you. He's like, prove it to me. Show me your glory, right? Glory is the presence of God. When somebody says, oh, the glory showed up, or it was glorious, what we really mean is I was aware of God's presence in a unique way in that space or at that time. Now, later on, down through the scriptures, David is another one who's just addicted to the presence of God. Here's my favorite psalm, Psalm 16. This is what he says, I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your what? In your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Fullness of joy in his presence. It's a promise. A firm foundation when you keep him before you. Now, what was the most shocking thing about David is that he valued the presence of God in a time period where the presence of God was thought to only be in the most holy place within the temple. Uh, I don't know how much you guys know about the Old Covenant, but there was one spot where the presence of God was thought to dwell over the Ark of the Covenant. And priests could go in there only one time a year. They'd actually tie a rope around the priest who would go in there because he died in the presence of God. He's like, oh, he's gone. Pull him out, you know, just in case they had to get him out of there, right? 
And David, the entire Psalms give witness to the reality that he valued the presence of God above anything else. So imagine this, it's David living in one covenant, the covenant of the law, of temple sacrifice, of presence only being for priests, and he still experienced the felt presence of God in his everyday life because he wanted it. Do you want it? Now, um, how many of you guys understand that God is everywhere at once? It says that in Psalm 139. David's like, where can I go from your presence? It's everywhere. So God's present, right? So it's kind of funny when we say like, oh, God showed up tonight. It's like he was already there. But what we mean by that is I was aware of him. That's really what counts. It's the personal knowledge and the experience of the fact that he is present that counts. And this is what Moses believed. Look back down at your Bibles. Exodus 33, verse 15. Then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us. In other words, here's what he's saying. Unless you're going, we don't want the promised land. Do not send us. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me? and with your people, unless you go with us. He's like, I want people to know that you're pleased with us, and the only way for that to be a mark on our lives is if when we, wherever we go, you go. That's it, right? And then he says this, what else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? Now, this is kind of a funny question that he asked because I'm thinking, oh, I don't know, circumcision? That's pretty distinguishing. Uh, I don't know, how about Sabbath? Like, you don't walk around on a certain day? Pretty distinguishing. Oh, I don't know, how about all of the food laws? Um, I don't know, pretty distinguishing. And he's like, what will distinguish us unless it's you? What will distinguish us unless it's your presence? It's not enough. Only your presence is enough. Now, a few chapters earlier, God had told Moses that he would send an angel with him into the promised land. Some of you guys know that passage. Um, And this angel's entire job was to make sure that Israel inherited all of the promises of God that God had for them. It's the angel of promise. And he's like, I'll send this angel with you into the promised land to make sure that you get that promised land that I have for you. So imagine this. Moses has an opportunity to have a promise guarantor with him and his people, and instead he says, no, I'd rather have your presence. Do you know what that means? He could have the same result get all of the same promises, get the same land, and instead, he would rather have the presence of God even over the promises of God. It has always been about presence. There are churches all around the world who unfortunately gather around preaching or worship or community groups, but the people of God down through history have gathered around his presence. And the same is true for us as a church. Jesus said this in Luke 10. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it. And to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. 
This is a moment where Jesus is with his disciples right before he sends them out to do ministry, to see the kingdom come. And he was talking about a lifestyle where it wasn't the select few who went into the tent when the cloud descended while the rest stood at the door of their tents. He was talking about there is now a time where the presence of God could dwell in any tent with any person and the kingdom would be the result of that fact. The prophet Joel actually spoke of the days that we're currently living in in chapter two. He says this, and afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. What he's talking about is he's talking about the moment where God is gonna give anyone who wants it all of himself. And if you know the story in Acts chapter two, when Pentecost happens and the Holy Spirit comes and people start speaking in tongues and there's baptism of the Holy Spirit, um, Peter, reflecting on Joel chapter two, he says, this is what Joel was talking about. This is exactly what Joel was talking about. What I'm here to tell you guys tonight is that the, the Spirit of God is the promised presence of God with us. Jesus told his disciples, wait for the Holy Spirit so that their entire ministry would be dependent, would be a ministry that's, that's based on waiting for him rather than their own hard work or their own ingenuity or their own ability. His presence is what carried the anointing and their yielding to the Spirit was what furthered the kingdom. That's why he said, wait for the Holy Spirit. This is very important for us to understand. Up until, up until a couple of years ago, um, you, many could have just called me like a closet charismatic. I was like a charismatic at home, but I'm not ready to do it at church, right? And um, I mean, I would just spend hours with my guitar in my room in prayer, um, just deeply felt God's heart for um, people. And, but I was really unsure of the Holy Spirit. And, and it's, it's kind of a funny thing. I think back on it now. I'm like, when did a lot of that begin to change? It's like, I met Andoni and like everything changed. He's like, he's like, you need to understand the Holy Spirit. I'm like, oh gosh, just got rocked. Um, and, but I, I remember, you know, just kind of being unsure about the Holy Spirit. I'm like, I love his presence. I'm not sure about his spirit. See, um, I knew what his presence felt like, but then there was all this other stuff like healing and prophecy and tongues, and it seemed like I had only seen it detached from his presence, not a result of his presence. Maybe some of you have been there. If, if you are looking for power without the presence of God, then you're in search of a kingdom without a king. If you're in search of, of using the Holy Spirit's power but not interested in surrendering, in surrendering to God's presence, then that, that mirrors the desire to have the angel who give, makes the promises come true rather than the presence of God go with you. And, and to be honest, I, I think that this is where many of the abuses within the charismatic stream come from. It's power detached from his presence. And what I'm here to share with you guys this evening is that we don't want the promises without his presence as a church. His presence is our priority. 
And so if you're here tonight and there's some fear around the Holy Spirit, that's okay. That's okay. Uh, But I also want to give you a little bit of an analogy. Sometimes the way that the Holy Spirit has been um, put on display for the church or for us is it's sort of like there's like you go to a carnival with your dad and you trust your dad, but he's like, hey, look at this Holy Spirit ride. It's crazy. There's all those loops and drops and spins, and and look at how much fun. They're all laughing and screaming, and you can't understand what they're saying. It's awesome. You should get on the spirit ride, bro. And you're like, that looks terrifying. I don't want to do that. Like, I heard somebody got decapitated on that ride like two years ago. That kid almost just fell out of the seatbelt. I don't want to go on that Holy Spirit ride. We've been taught to think that the Holy Spirit is this thing that you can go tap into and have a nice ride sometimes. But the Holy Spirit, is, it's more like when you're a kid with your dad and he tosses you up in the air and he catches you. It's exhilarating, it's fun, but you trust him because his presence is still with you. It's not, see, I, I thought that the Holy Spirit was different than the Father. I'm like, I love the Father, not sure about the Spirit. It's the Father's Spirit that we've been given. If you like Jesus, you'll like the Spirit, because it's the Spirit of Jesus. The Spirit isn't a ride for us to go on. The Spirit is Dad with us. It is power, yes, but it's peace. It's like, okay, this is pretty crazy, and I'm, they have a flag, and they're dancing around. I, I don't even know what to do with that, but I can sense that you're still here. I'm saying, I've had to get over all of it, guys. Okay, that guy's on the floor, and he's like crying, laughing. Okay, maybe that's how you touch people sometimes, Lord. I can, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to humble myself to the point where I say, you have the right to do things that offend my order. You have the right to do things that can offend my reason. Because if you want the peace that goes beyond understanding, then you have to give up the right to understand. It is, in, it is so important for us to be the kind of people who, who choose his presence over us being the kind of people who say, I need to make sure that I know everything and that it's not, that doesn't look, is that God? It looks a little messy. How many of you guys understand that, that there is, uh, there's peace and quiet and it's very neat in the graveyard, but in the nursery, it's loud, it's chaotic, but there's life. I want the life. Guys, we have a privilege to have his presence here. So I want to talk about that privilege. Many neglect his presence for the, because of the fear of the power. But to do that is to neglect your destiny. One of the things that we like to say around here as a leadership is that in God's presence, all the right things grow and all the wrong things die. It's kind of like the sun. And Jesus actually models this with his own presence. When Jesus was present, people got healed. They dreamed bigger dreams for their lives. They became emotionally whole and demons fled. That's a pretty good presence. Uh, You know, under the old covenant, um, if somebody was a a leper or somebody was unclean, not only was it dangerous to get around them because uh, you could contract what they had, but there was actually a spiritual reality at play. Um, 
If you were to touch a leper, their uncleanness would have transferred to you and made you unclean. But we see something very different with Jesus when he comes on the scene. Jesus goes around and it, it says that he touches lepers. And instead of contracting what they had, they contracted what he had. Instead of him getting unclean, they got clean. The prophet Ezekiel um, has this kind of beautiful metaphor for what's going on when we see that in the life of Jesus. And he he kind of paints it like this. He says, um, one day there will be a temple of God. And there will be water that flows out from under the door of the temple of God toward the east. And this is fresh water. And as the fresh water issues from underneath the temple, it will go into the sea. And it will make the salty water fresh rather than be contaminated by the salty water. And it says that this water will flow and it will actually give life to trees whose leaves will be used for the healing of the nations. Beautiful image about the future for God's people and what we're to be part of. Now, with that prophetic image in mind, the temple issuing water that makes salty water fresh, where have we seen that? Oh, Jesus, he went and touched people and they got what he had rather than the other way around. Now, with that in mind, Jesus has the audacity to say to his followers, you are being built into the temple. You are being formed into that temple. Paul echoes the same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter three. He says this, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? The presence of God within the temple is meant to leak from the temple in order for the kingdom to come. It's his presence being hosted by a people who honor it and who allow it to go wherever it wants to go for the healing of the nations. See, the true challenge for us isn't to get God to dwell with us. He already does. The challenge for us is to recognize what he's doing in our midst It's to become a hospitable place for the presence of God to dwell by looking for where he wants to leak. So, how do we host him well as a church? How do we host him well? When Jesus was baptized, this fascinating thing happened. It's recorded in John chapter one. It says this. And John bore witness, I saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. So Jesus is baptized, and John bears witness to this. He says, when he was baptized, he came up out of the water, and the Spirit of God came on him, and it rested on him like a dove. And and then notice this, and it remained on him. It remained on him. Fascinating, right? Jesus carried with his entire ministry the presence of God with him. It was the power of his ministry. It was the direction of his ministry, Um, A pastor that I like uses this example. It's not my example, but he says this. You know, imagine that a dove came and landed on your shoulder while you're at a dinner party. It's a noisy room, lots of people having conversations. And this dove lands on your shoulder, and you want to keep the dove there. How would you move around the room? Can can we go here? Okay, okay. Maybe over here? Okay, that's okay. Let's go over here. All all with the dove in mind, right? Everything that I'm doing is I want to keep the dove in mind, right? 
regardless of whether you are a stay-at-home mom or a brain surgeon or a student, you have the same assignment, and it's to host the dove well. It's to, it's to host his spirit in such a way where you say, okay, what, should I go there? What do you think? Should I say this? What do you think? Should I make this decision? What do you think? See, many people want to live their lives by their own opinion, especially once you get out from underneath your parents' home. You're, you're thinking, oh, I finally have an opportunity to do my own thing. I don't want to have an opinion in my heart that isn't in his heart. I, I really, truly, I cannot afford to have a thought in my mind that's not in his. And so I, I want to be the kind of person who is constantly moving, thinking, speaking with the dove of mind. Is that always the case? It hasn't been. Is that the goal? Yes. Is that what we're aiming for as a church? Absolutely. Quenching the spirit Many people have wondered, you know, did I just quench the spirit with my sin? Quenching the spirit comes when my plan or idea of what should happen in a given situation overrides my desire to listen and see what the spirit is up to. That's how you quench the spirit. You don't quench the spirit with your sin. It's already been paid for. You quench the spirit when you make a choice to not listen and to do what you want to do. And I believe that God in this church is raising up a people who are more aware of his presence than what is even going on around them. Jake and I talk about this, we use this example. Many people come approach ministry and culture like this. We need to learn everything about what's going on in culture and you know, this new generation, they're digital natives, they have all this, you know, they were born with an iPhone in their pocket, like we gotta figure out how are we gonna speak to them and you know, it's really fallow ground, it's very hard and so we gotta do everything we can to just break the ground and just hope that God's spirit pours out. And so we spend all this time with a newspaper in one hand and reading pop psychology articles in the other hand and trying to figure out how do I shadow box postmodern modernism. That's not your job. Your job is to pay more attention to what he's saying, what he's doing, how he's moving, than it is to be aware of what's going on around you. Just think about this. One of those ways is much more complex than the other way of ministry. One of those ways says, I have to figure out to outsmart, outmuscle, outargue what's going on in secular culture in order to get people to Christ. The other way just says, I just need to release his presence. You pick what's more fun. <laughs> the choice is for you. I would rather, you know, uh, I think it was uh, Tozer who said, how do you defend the gospel? He says, I let it out of the cage. I don't defend the gospel. I spend more time consuming myself with his thoughts. Because what, if, you, if you believe that it's your job to try to figure culture out so that you can outsmart it, what you're saying is that God doesn't know what to do in a given situation. I need to know what to do in a given situation. It's my job to yield to him more than I try to outstudy people. An awareness of his presence always makes the problem in front of me shrink to its true size in front of a present father who has an answer. So to end, just one primary call for us as the people of God here in Newburgh, and that's to become a people of the presence. To become a people of the presence. 
You know, it could be easy for us to think that Sundays are the days where we come into God's presence and we see what he's up to, um, but this completely contradicts the purpose of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Um, We have been given the Holy Spirit so that wherever we go, we bring the scent of God's presence. If I were to put on um, a a nice cologne and, and you were to give me a hug, the chances are pretty good that you would maybe smell like me for the rest of the day. That's what it's supposed to be like. I spend time in God's presence so that everywhere I go, I smell like his presence. So that when people encounter me, they encounter him. So what I want to encourage you to do this evening is to create a personal history with God. Sundays are a great starting place. They're where we begin to develop our nose for him and our ears for him and our senses for him. But this is training This isn't ministry. Ministry happens outside of those doors when you go to school or you go to work or you go back to your house. That's where ministry happens. This is a training place. And I can, we can get up here and we can bless you and we can give you a a message from the scriptures and we can invite his presence in this space. But, But I cannot give you my history. That's something that you have to go create on your own. So the responsibility is on your shoulders. What will you do with the time that you have in your day, on your way to work, on your way to school? When you're running an errand, will you just take a moment and say, God, what are you up to right now? God, what are you doing right now? We've even started this when we argue, my wife and I. It's like, okay, take a moment. What is God saying in this moment? I'm gonna do my best to hear from you because I don't wanna have my thoughts about this argument. I wanna have your thoughts about this argument. You happen to know her a lot better than I know her. What are you speaking This is Evan Roberts. I don't know how many of you guys know who Evan Roberts is, but he's a personal hero of mine. Um, When he was 26 years old, he led one of the largest revivals uh, in history in um, England. Over 100,000 people came to faith as a result of this man's ministry. Just incredible guy. He wanted to go to seminary, but he couldn't afford it, so he ended up working in the coal mines. And he had a vision for revival. He had a vision for a people of the presence. He went to his pastor at Moriah Chapel and he said to him, you know, I have this vision that, that, that the knowledge of God would cover the earth like water covers the sea. And can we start a gathering specifically for the youth? This we're talking like 1904. And so he, his pastor, just being awesome, was, he let him start a gathering. He said, sure, after our gatherings, you can have a youth gathering. The first night, like four people show up and two of them were sleeping. And he's just like, oh, did I hear wrong? But he just said, you know what? I'm more resolute in what he's doing than what's going on around me. And so he pursued. And this man, just incredible stories came out of his ministry. One of these days, I'm gonna actually preach on his ministry and what he did. But um, a biographer of his said this. If the Holy Spirit didn't show up, Evan had nothing to fall back on. He didn't have a program he could resort to or leftover sermons he could warm up. When we have only the Holy Spirit, then obedience to the Spirit is everything. Few have been willing to trust the Lord to this degree, and few have experienced revival because of it. He was just willing to wait. The stories from his gatherings say that he would just wait and wait. He would just sit down. Everybody comes in and sits down. Can you imagine this? You're all sitting there, and I just sit down right here in the front, and I'm just looking the same way. And you're like, is anybody going to start this thing? 
and he would just wait, and the people who knew, they would like bring pillows, because they knew sometimes he would wait until one or two or three in the morning, and they would just put their pillow on the pew and just, well, I'm going to sleep until he uh, gets something. Just amazing stories. But he just, he developed this desire, I would rather wait on God's presence and step into where the pillar has gone, where the, where the fire has gone, than come up with something for entertainment. That's challenging for me. Because I get up here and I think about all of you, I'm like, what do they think about me? Oh gosh. And that fear can make me click over into entertainment rather than hosting his presence. We want to host him. There's amazing stories of people waiting. Sometimes it would happen, you know, three in the morning, they'd be waiting, and finally he would say, I know what God wants to say tonight. He would get up and he would say it. And you would just see people come to the front, give their lives over to the Lord. There's stories of family members coming to the front, praying, God, would you save my father? Would you save my father? And sure enough, the father, 3 a.m., comes walking through the back doors to the front to give his life over to Jesus. Just revival breaking out a just tangible sense of his presence in a community. Do you want it? Because I want it. I'm not doing church. We're not doing church. We're here to see revival break out. And that happens when his pre- a people of the presence say, we'll take him with us. I just honestly think that God honored a person who had the courage to wait. So let's cultivate the same thing. A.W. Tozer said this to close. He said, there is a difference between theological knowledge and spiritual experience. The difference between knowing God by hearsay and knowing him by acquaintance. We Christians should watch lest we lose the O from our hearts. There is real danger these days that we should fall victim to the prophets of poise and the purveyors of tranquility and our Christianity be reduced to a mere evangelical humanism that is never disturbed about anything nor overcome by any trances of thought and mountains of mind. Churches should keep always before them the knowledge that progress can be made only by the O's and the ahs of spirit-filled hearts. These are the pain cries of the fruitful mother about to give birth. Let's stand together.